Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. <laughs> Stay tuned with the two of two O's. Sci-Fi Saturday See? Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess, and we will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Welcome to yet again another Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. The only podcast to guarantee it's a waste of electrons and you get to hear stuff. This week it's episode 478 and it's another pandemic countdown day. So, it's another quarantine day in Area 51. Tonight, lycanthropy. We are still in social distancing mode and because of the whole world is caught up on Zoom, and it's difficult to get a clear channel. Oh, God, did I say clear channel? Yes, you did. Yes, you did. All right, put a okay. dollar in the jar. Ah, shit. And we're once again using a paired back cast and hoping for the best or whatever. I did talk to Kriana this week. She got her first shot, and both she and Zombarian are doing well. <clears throat> in fact, they got, both got them today. At some point, Commander Cam will tire of my taunts, and then we're going to have to reprocess him because Swinlight Green is human, as everybody knows. But, uh, Commander Cam, uh, we understand today was your uh, full week back at uh, full-time work, and uh, how's that going for you? Let's just say that... It was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. Yes, yes. Just in case anybody's listening. It was was wonderful. wonderful. You couldn't be happier. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And we're planning for show number 500. And uh, the big surprise party for me, because I'm the only person who's currently on the show who's been there for all 500 episodes. And I know you've got this big surprise party planned for me, right? Of course. Wait, you so think what? I'm going to tell you anything? It's not a surprise, Dome, if I tell you. And trust me, I've seen you act. You couldn't act your way out of a paper bag. You know, the whole, oh my, I am so shocked. I am I so surprised. It's yeah, just not going to cut it. So, you know, no. I'm just not giving you any hints, you know, because I really do want you to act surprised. Well, how can I act surprised as opposed to actually be surprised unless you do something? <laughs> I'm going to do something. I'm just not telling you what it is. But please uh, approve the, uh, you know, the cash requests that I sent you, you know, just so, you know, I can get, get uh, those things taken care of. The big brain in a jar jar with all the petty cash in seems to have disappeared. Yeah, it's here with me. Oh, great. Except that it's it's a it's got a lot less cash in it. 
and I diamond <laughs> so diamond studded the uh, the brain, but that had nothing to do with your surprise. Oh, my bedazzling kid is gone. Yeah. Yep. Terrific. <clears throat> Terrific. Um. So so, t- uh, a book got forwarded to me. Uh. Um. A couple of weeks ago, maybe like a month ago, and we've been reading some fairly heavy uh, uh, sword sorcery and 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 fantasy and 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 really heavy duty uh, uh, um, hardcore fantasy books for the past couple of months, hasn't it been? Yep, and some horror in there. And uh, yeah, and 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 horror books and stuff. And then Cam threw one at me and he goes, well, here's one that's not. And I went, okay. And it was called uh, a Canadian werewolf series. And I went, fear and loathing in Los Angeles, fear and longing in Los Angeles. And I said, Hunter Thompson's writing werewolf books. (laughs) 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 And I could have gone for that at this point because I'd had enough of, of horror books. And, you know, in a way, it was kind of like that, but it was like the fourth book in a series. Uh, and yet it, it was, frankly, one of the most fun books I've read in a while coming on the show tonight to talk about fear and longing in Los Angel- Angeles. Jesus Christ, could I get the title of the book outright? Probably not. Is <laughs> author from Canada, Mark Leslie. Mark, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. I'm so glad that the, the title tripped you up because that's exactly the play on words I was going for. Oh, I wanted terrific. it to seem familiar, but weird. Yeah, well, the whole book is kind of familiar, but weird. <laughs> and and I'm guessing the whole kind of series is that way. And frankly, talking to you is kind of familiar and yet weird. Weird. <laughs> of course, yeah. Uh, we've been talking for about the past 15 minutes before the red light went on. And... Uh, we're like kind of uh, in in some ways like brothers from different mothers kind of deal. Pretty much. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we have the same hairstyle apparently. Ex- exactly yeah. because neither of us kind of have hair, and we both have facial hair and and uh, <laughs> that kind of stuff. But uh, how did you come acro- uh, about with this Canadian werewolf uh, series? Where did this come from? So I was. Uh... Shortly after my very first trip to New York, I, I fell in love with the city. I just, you know, I, I just you know, always wanted to go there when I was little. Finally made it there as a young adult. And I was writing a short story for an anthology. And the anthology's theme was The Beast Within. And what they were looking for were stories about monsters, but they wanted the human side of the monster. So the, the, the Dr. Jekyll, not the Mr. Hyde, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I had, uh, it was my first visit to uh, Battery Park in uh, <laughs> you know, Manhattan. Okay. And I remember yeah. walking through there, and I don't know why I was thinking, what would it be like if you woke up naked, bullet hole in your leg, taste of human blood in your mouth, because you're a werewolf, and you actually have no memory of what you did the night before. So not only do you go, oh, did I murder someone? Oh, that's a typical weekend in New York, though. (laughs) It can be. It can be, yeah. And it depends in in some of the Hunter S. Thompson drugs. uh, You know, you wake up and you don't know. And so I thought, what would it be like for a guy living in in one of the world's largest cities, most populous cities, 
to have to deal with a side effect that, you know, for one week every month, he turns into a wolf. So he's got to go get somewhere. And then, and then when he wakes up, he's got no clothes. How is he going to get home? And so I thought, day in the life of this poor schmuck. And I thought uh, it'd be fun to make him because I'm from a small town in northern Ontario in Canada. Let's make him an alpha wolf, but a beta human. So he's a pushover. He uh, wants to help people. He wa- He's a people pleaser. And so when he's a wolf, he's obviously an alpha. But when he's a human, he's a beta. And, and he has side effects, obviously. Um, so when he's a human, he can still scent uh, emotions and, um, and and pick up uh, more sensitive hearing, stuff like that. And so he uses those powers to help people. And so that story was written. It was about 10,000 words. I It got rejected. I did not get it accepted into the anthology. But I, I still... You know, I, I still praise this editor who put the call out, who inspired me, because a really good friend of mine, Sean Costello, who's a, a brilliant horror author, he read it for me, uh, for, read the short story, and he goes, oh, this is great. What happens next? And I'm like, what do you mean? It's over. It's done. He's like, no, what happens in the, next, the rest of his day? I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> and then he kept bugging me. And so it's like, OK, why don't we explore? So a Canadian werewolf in New York, which, again title that i was trying to trip people up with and make them think it wasn't that a movie <laughs> wasn't it in london uh that kind of thing and um and and yeah so that was the it was his day michael andrews his day uh, between wolfish moments because you only really see him as a human for most of the mm-hmm. most of the book and that's where it came from i mean it's 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 at at one point a brilliant idea and at one point, what a dumb guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you've, you've created the perfect schmuck. It's great. <laughs> I mean, from, from the moment I opened the book. Now, I, I do not praise so effusively. But from the moment I opened the book, I got the guy. Really? Now, and, and I opened book four of the series so what what made the book work for me number one is that this is book four in the series but it worked so beautifully as a standalone oh i'm so delighted to hear you say that because i wanted it to be something someone could pick up and then you get hopefully enough teasers of stuff that happened before that you're like oh i'd like to read about that and and you can read that standalone story too that's what i was hoping for so so i'm i'm I'm, Thrilled. We can stop now. I'm thrilled that you that it felt that way. You kill me because I'm a Letterman fan. Oh, okay. that's right. Because he, yeah, the first book he's on Letterman. <laughs> so, so you're teasing me about his appearance on Letterman. <laughs> Secondly, I am I am a huge fan of the Algonquin Roundtable. Oh so my God, the Algonquin. <laughs> Oh, yeah, because that's where he lives. Uh, and I fell in love with it. The first time I went to the Algonquin, I was like, oh, my God, I, I could live here. And so this Thirdly, is a fantasy. Yeah. I was born in Brooklyn. No, really? Yeah. Oh, my God. You must love <laughs> Dennis Hamill, uh, all of his novels then. Mm-hmm. Yes, because he so, has I mean, such as, a great as, taste for Brooklyn in his books. As, wow. as you're checking off his his all his stuff about, you know, walking through Central Park in the brambles as, as you're checking off him playing with the cats at the Algonquin as, as you, as, as you, as you're doing all this stuff, I'm going, God damn it. I can smell it. <laughs> you uh, wanted a martini at the Algonquin. Didn't oh you? God. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. They make but the a best. gin martini. <laughs> oh yeah. Gin martini. Of course. 
So I mean, three you know, and, and then you you write with such a smart, smarmy attitude. Uh, so I'm thinking to myself as I'm reading this, you've got to be the biggest smart ass in the world. <laughs> Thank you. I love that. Well, Michael Andrews is not me. That's just it's his voice. No, no, it's it's not his voice. It, it is absolutely not his. Voice. You can't tell me it's his voice. <laughs> <laughs> well that that's the thing is right so he is a pushover uh and so he usually wouldn't say shit if you had a mouthful of it mm-hmm. uh but all the thoughts in his head which is very uh, what an introvert would do is like these are the thoughts he's had these observations he's making is are often when uh that, that's where it comes out and because it's first person through his perspective you get to see the things he wouldn't dare say to someone but he thinks like the, right. the the agent that uh, shits all over him all the time. Right. And he takes it. And he, he takes it because he's a nice guy. Well, he's Canadian, right? Right. Yeah. Constantly apologize. <laughs> <laughs> and through it all, you weave in two distinctively oddball attributes that I'm not sure I understand. Okay. There's a moment in the Algonquin of cat kidnapping. Oh. And I'm not giving anything about the plot away. I'm not giving anything about Michael away. And I'm not giving anything about the story away. What the hell is that about? I was doing a lot because I love the Algonquin and I've, and I've interacted with two of the cats there over the years. Yeah. And I had set it up that Michael and the cat, the cat knows he's a, an animal. Right. And would play with him. Right. And so I needed to demonstrate that Michael is always willing to sacrifice the things that are important that he needs to do, like what he's doing in the Algonquin when he realizes the cat's gone missing mm-hmm. or been kidnapped, catnapped, uh, and, and helping, uh, you know, and, and, and that cat is just, is a person to him, obviously. All the cats uh, are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I also wanted to make sure that, uh, one of the things it was a TV show. Uh, it was a, it was produced here in Canada, um, and I'm forgetting the the name of the the uh, God. What the heck was the name of it? It was a cop show, but the bad guys were not bad. They were just um, they they made some bad decisions, uh, and it may not have been for bad reasons. It might have been for good reasons, and so I didn't want the catnapper to be a bad person i wanted them to be someone because again michael doesn't always have to fight (laughs) he doesn't have to get it even though he's sort of a superhero uh he's not always gonna use his fists to to and even when he does he doesn't do it well sometimes especially when he's drunk no yeah yeah Yeah. because unlike unlike me he can't handle his booze I mean, I sat there and, and I read that 
that couple of pages and then I read it again. I, I must have read that couple of pages three or four times. I'm still not sure what it meant. That's, it. I'm, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, so the encounter that he has after he tracks down where the cat is mm-hmm. was was an attempt of me to... Sh- because again, you picked it up and, and his life is in New York. That's where he lives. And so this novel is actually set in LA. Like even the opening uh, scene, you know, he's in he's in LA. Uh, and then you flash back to, to a, a, just a very short time period in New York. And I wanted to still give a sense of, of where he lived and what his days were like in New York. So that when he goes, when you transplant him into LA, you know that when he sees something, he sees someone who needs help, he's going to go for it. So it was really more or less, uh, you know, just trying to d- display the character a little bit. Yeah, but you threw MacGuffin in there, which I thought was really interesting. And that was he goes after the cat, but he saves the guy. Right, right. So, and then I'm, you glad, did, I'm glad you like that. I'm, I'm, and, well, I'm, I'm glad you got hung up on it because it, it, it made you stop, which, 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 is, which is great for me to hear. And then you did it a second time in the club with Alicia Witt. Oh, that sort of other side, that side angle. Yeah. When well, Alicia Witt is, is on stage and she's singing and she catches Michael's I as she's singing and she feels his vulnerability off the stage right and finishes her set and instead of sitting down with her friends sits down and talks to him now I know from our conversation that you know Alicia Witt yeah and you know her music very well. And there's there's a certain emotional power to her music. And there's a certain emotional vulnerability that Michael displays in his giving up of his attachment to Gail and opening up in his emotional attachment to Lex. Right. And that's that moment right there. Yeah. And that's that moment that Alicia, knowingly or unknowingly, opens the key to. Yeah. And that in itself is a beautiful, beautifully crafted moment. I uh, thank you. I am. So I discovered Alicia's music. Oh, probably 10 or more years ago. And I missed a chance to see her play in New York one time when I was in New York for work. And I still kick myself uh, over it um, because I was a huge fan of her music. When my marriage ended in 2014, I spent a lot of time alone in bars, drunk, trying to get over it. And her music actually helped me. 
because a lot of her songs are Phil Collins esque. <laughs> you know, it's about breakups. It's about you know the, the things, and and so I personally resonated a lot with her music. Now I I got a chance to be a part of a Kickstarter uh, to help her support an uh, uh, independent uh, album she was producing, and uh, she was kind enough and gracious enough that I had her write a custom song for me, and for that custom song. I asked, I sent her a note and I said, Hey, I'd like to use a custom song. This is what I want to do with it. I want to propose to my girlfriend. Would you <laughs> perform it live? And so we, over the course of two and a half years, corresponded <clears throat> about this. And she ended up like, cause she's on tour and she's going to be here. And, and it was like, I thought, okay, I travel a lot for work and maybe we'll be in the same city at the same time. And then she finally emailed and she said, Hey, I'm going to be in, in Toronto on May 6th. Uh, and I'm going to be in Montreal on May 9th. Would either one of those dates work? And I live uh, about an hour and a half outside of Toronto. It's not, you know, it's an eight-hour drive to get to Montreal or a, a one-hour flight or whatever. And I said, well, uh, that's my 50th birthday. And when you're in Toronto, that's perfect. And so she performed the song live. Uh, which the song was called Liz. And it's it's a, it's about our relationship, uh, Liz and I, my, my fiance now. And uh, we danced to the song. And then I proposed at the end of the song. And I remember Alicia just saying, like, are you sure she's going to say yes? Because she was so nervous. And then she was kind enough to do a video of it. Uh, she had the drummer sneak around and, and record it. And then she emailed that to me afterwards. Uh, and you could see Alicia, like, panicking. She finishes the song. I go down on my knee, and she just covers her face because she's just so worried that, you know, Liz isn't going to say yes. And and it's <laughs> hilarious because I got, you know, and Alicia's like, she said yes! Because she was so relieved. Um, anyways. I got to know her a little bit. I mean, we're not we're not friends or anything. I'm still a huge fan of hers. But then the week after, I was in Oklahoma City when she was on the same tour, and I got to go see her again. And then I worked um, as a bouncer that night because it's the, uh, the Blue Door Cafe, which is a phenomenal indie music venue in Oklahoma City. And it's just the owner running everything. So I basically helped uh, with a couple other people, and I was kind of like the doorman, and I was I was, you know, working uh, the show and helping them uh, when they finished packing up afterwards. So I, I got a chance to see her perform live there as well as on uh, stage it where she's been doing some virtual stuff in the last year because of the pandemic. And so much of her character and the way she talks to people when she's on the stage were obviously built in. I did send it to her. I asked her permission and I sent it to her before the book was published and said, Hey, Here's that scene I told you I was going to write and you gave me permission to do. And she gave me permission to use her lyrics in the book. And she wrote back to me and said, oh, my God, I could see myself saying exactly what you have me say to Michael. Um, and I was like, well, yeah, well, I've seen you in action. I know you're a kind, compassionate person. So that was a phenomenal thing. And then, of course, for the audiobook, I was just thrilled that she owns the rights to, to pretty much most of her music because no. she's an indie. And she let me she use. Let you use the music in the in the audio. Oh. I've got Scott Overton, who's the voice of Michael Andrews. But then when he talks in in the book, you you see the lyrics, but in the audio book version, you actually hear the the music come up. You hear because who better than I mean Scott's got a great voice, but no 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 one can sing like Alicia Witt. So uh, yeah, it was just it was just beautiful that I was so thrilled that she was so kind and generous uh, to allow me to do that. That's amazing. And, and it was important, right? The res I, I would have sure. made it a fake musician. If she said no, I would have just did, you know, a fake musician. It would have been modeled after her, and I would have fake lyrics and whatever. But um, 
that was a critical scene to me because Michael has to get, because Gail is a huge thing in the, in the previous books to him. And it, and I had to make sure that it was a big thing that he's, he's got to get over Gail before he can fall in love again. And that's the, that's a clinchy. That's a very critical moment. That that's, that's the linchpin to this book. I really think. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's like, uh, you, you feel you feel really bad for Michael because he's 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 stuck. He's absolutely you know he's I I don't know how to explain it, but you have if you ever felt bad for a werewolf up to this point, you felt bad because he was a fucking werewolf. <laughs> that's not a, that's not why you feel bad for Michael. Yeah, you feel bad for Michael because he's stuck with a woman he's in love with who just is not going to. Feel it back ever. Yeah. And, and there is a scene earlier where he meets a woman who's very attractive and he's into, but because Gail's a blocker and prevents him from moving forward. Yeah. And then he almost blows it with Lex. My God. Yeah, because of that. Yeah. <laughs> where did where did Lex come from in your in your head? So <laughs> Because Lex, she's a great character, my God. <laughs> it's just a funny thing that happens when you're writing. So I was in L.A. at Gulp, at the bar that I write about. And it's a really, I love that bar to death. I, I spent, I think, eight or nine hours one day there. From, you know, no, actually must have been more. It might have been closer to 12 hours. Mid-afternoon till they closed. And uh, I met someone uh, sitting beside me who was one of the regulars who I initially modeled on off of Lex, uh, who had a, a name like that, that was sort of like just three letters off of her real name, like a full name. Mm-hmm. And and they welcomed me and, and her and her friends just brought me in. And I was one of the one of the gang. And this was shortly after Adam West died. So they were like, hey, we're going downtown to go see they're doing the bat symbol and stuff. And, and like they just included me in everything. And I felt so welcome. And, I, and, and it was like I'd always you know, grown up watching Cheers and wanted to be one of the people at the bar. And it felt like, wow, this is like a, this is Cheers. And I'm sitting with Norm Peterson and, and I'm Cliff Clavin, the nerd. Right. And, and like I'm hanging out with all these cool people. So so Lex was meant to be uh, a character who distracts Michael from Gale and is potentially involved with the bad guys. Uh, in, in this novel. And so I wanted, and I, and I, and she was meant to just be a plot device, but as I was writing the character, she grew a life of her own and I fell in love with her as Michael was. And I realized she was going to be much bigger. Uh, and so that was kind of a, it, I, I didn't even know until I was writing her how big she was going to be. So that was a really fun thing to discover. Well, let's, let's talk for a little bit about, uh, the bad guys in this book. Yeah. Um, you throw a quote out in the middle of this book, and it seems like for no reason when you throw it out there, and it just it doesn't make any sense when you throw it out, and it's not for about another fifty or sixty or seventy pages later that it begins to make sense. Hmm. And the quote you throw out is a Joseph Goebbels quote, <laughs> <laughs> and the quote is that. It, if you tell a big lie enough and you keep repeating it, people will eventually believe it and it will become the truth mm-hmm. or their truth at least. Yeah. Now, this is, this is, and I don't do a shit of, of uh, fucking politics on, on this show. Uh, 
But this is very reminiscent of uh, uh, Mayor McCheese, the former president, uh, <laughs> <laughs> who, who had, a, had a real penchant for just, you know, lying his ass off and repeating it until uh, a certain segment of the population just began to fucking believe it. Yeah. Um, and and you have a, a substrata hate group in this novel called the PFA, which tends to resemble in many ways uh, what happens when you lift up a flagstone and you see these ugly little creatures come scuttling around afterwards. Right. Is were they a reaction to what you look, what you saw when you looked up? Yeah. So they were, uh, they were inspired by, um, because I first started writing this in, uh, 2017 and I put it aside for a number of years and I finished it this last, uh, when, you know, the last six months mm-hmm. and, the PFA were, were originally inspired by the um, Purge movies. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to, and, and so my thought was, okay, what if there was a group trying to purge the, um, like in Hitler's, you know, uh, in Hitler's regime, trying to purge those sure. that they saw were uh, vampires on society or were, were whatever. And then it wasn't until I really, because I, I had no idea who they, who they were or what they were up to. I just like okay. There's now it's a, it's now acceptable for hate groups to to be a little bit less in the shadows and more prominent. Okay, let's have let's have them start to terrorize neighborhoods in in LA, and um, and that's yeah that's where they came from. So they were kind of a combination of what I was seeing happening, uh, as well as uh, and I was thinking and you can see there's a, obviously there's a there's a, a nod to the purge in 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 the scene where Michael. Right you know, stops to help someone um, because of the masks, because they do keep their faces hidden and stuff like that. And so that was, it, it was, it was a difficult thing to write because I wanted the PFA. Um, I wanted them to be their own entity in and of, of themselves. Um, unlike any existing uh, hate groups out there, Obvi- there's obviously, um, you know, similarities to some, some existing groups that, um, that peddle hatred and fear and, and, uh, you know, ill will. Um, but yeah, that was, that was, a it was, it was, it was a tough one too, because I didn't want it to be a political novel. I wanted it to be a novel about this group. And I ended up, uh, discovering the book Hitler's monsters and learning about the supernatural. And there's such an interesting connection to werewolves that I get to explore in the next book in a lot more detail. Uh, with uh, with the Nazi army and, and, and werewolves. And, and so I, I had to do a lot of research on a, com- a combination of fake occult stuff <laughs> that I was making up based on two or three different occult groups uh, and then combining it with some of the stuff I learned from this ac- ac- academic book that fortunately came out in 2017 because <laughs> I even have Lex <laughs> refer to it. Um, so it was, it, it, was, it was difficult because, I again, you talked about it being a fun and light book and I didn't want, I wanted it to be, frightening uh realistic enough uh but frightening um and so that that's that's a challenge uh, there's an odd balance there though there's yeah. a very odd balance 
that you know y- you you somehow achieve in, in a way that uh, I really really enjoyed immensely. Oh, thank that you. Uh, that I could. How to put this? <laughs> um, and it, and you make it you make it so goddamn difficult. Uh, how dare you, <laughs> you son of a bitch? Uh, <laughs> My work here is done. Not yet, it isn't. You've got another goddamn book to do. Um, you, you're you're balancing um, this oddball story about a love sick werewolf (laughs) and his supernatural love interest (laughs) and this this hate group living in a twilight world amongst the real world and keeping it in such a manner that the real world for the most part doesn't know it exists. Mm. And you're balancing it off in such a way that works that it doesn't ever get too heavy, that it doesn't ever get too, uh, pedantic, thankfully, uh, that it doesn't get too preachy, that it doesn't get too uh, gothic horror, thankfully, hmm. and that it that, that it, it it's it maintains uh, uh, it maintains its chops as a, a viable love story, a viable fun story, and you care about. Lexi and Cal, you care about Michael, yeah. and it's fun. Wow, thank you. That is uh, that is everything I was hoping to achieve in this book that took me forever to write. And um, and it's funny you say that because when I was when I was writing it, when I first conceived of it, uh, this what became this book, which is already way longer than I had intended, um, <laughs> because I think the first novel was eighty thousand words. This one was ninety five thousand. Um, I realized only about three quarters of the way through writing it that the full plot I had in mind was not going to be resolved for another 400 pages, which is why which is three why quarters of the way left. through the book, I, I, yeah. I reached out to my cover designer and I was like, okay, dude, I need a book and it's going to be called, and I spent about 20 minutes. I'm like, Fright Night's <coughs> Big City. Okay, perfect. All right. Can you make me a cover? And then he made a beautiful cover within 48 <laughs> hours while I was still working on it. I'm like, okay, good. I need to resolve this main story arc, but I also need a larger one to, to carry forward because that was the story I'd wanted to tell. And I thought I would tell in this book, but then Lex became such a bigger thing for me, right? Like she came in and really changed Michael's life in a, in a way that was more than, you know, Oh, he needs to just meet someone who's hot. Right. <laughs> well, I can't imagine that the character of Lex, when you first conceived her would have spent, as much time as you had anticipated walking through the city of Venice, California all night long. Oh, I love that. It's a great uh, scene. It's yeah. A it's oh, a I'm so glad night. you love that because I've never, I've, I've been 
in on Venice Beach and in, in the restaurant that they're at, but I've never walked through that neighborhood. I've only looked at it on Google Maps. And we were watching an episode of Lucifer on Netflix there you go. <laughs> just a couple of weeks ago. And, and they panned over that scene. And I go, Liz, that's the place that I had them walking. <laughs> because I was yeah. using Google Maps and, and like yeah. and checking to see where they're going to stop, where they're going to turn. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. I'm, glad, I'm really glad that resonated with you because two really good friends of mine uh, that I dedicated the book to, uh, Julie and Joe, uh, they, they brought me to Venice Beach. And I was like, oh, my God, this is where Arnold Schwarzenegger hung out, right? <laughs> Muscle Beach and all that stuff. Sure. Um, and so that was like uh, an, an awesome, an awesome experience. And I wanted something important to happen in that neighborhood. Now, I really think uh, for, from, a, from a thematic point of view, uh, to leave the ending of that book where you left it was both infuriatingly genius <laughs> I thought you would uh, just stop with infuriating. <laughs> oh, absolutely infuriating. I thought that, and I just kind of went, God damn it. <laughs> First of all, you gave him a three hour time change, which leaves him sweating. <laughs> yeah. And second of all, you left him you left him and us in the air. Yeah. Which is a good place to be as we sit and we wait for Fright Night's Big City, book four. <laughs> <laughs> I better start writing it then, eh? Oh, man. You're damn right you better start writing it. I had a really great meeting with a, an editor uh, to talk through some some stuff and he helped me uh he helped me figure out some really important things for that so i'm really really pleased and i can't wait to sink my teeth into that so to speak well somebody better sink their teeth into it before somebody <laughs> sinks their teeth into michael <laughs> you know it's it's interesting when you get the chance to sit down and, and talk your way through a novel without giving anything away and at the same point giving everything away without right. giving anything away <laughs> yeah and we've spent the night talking about fear and longing in Los Angeles with uh, a very interesting guy who also happens to be the author of fear and longing in Los Angeles uh, Mark Leslie and Mark I can't thank you enough for coming by tonight Oh, Dom, uh, thank you so much. It's been it's been so much fun chatting with you guys. Well, thanks for coming by. You're always welcome here. And uh, when the new book comes out, and hopefully it's coming sooner rather than later, we want you back. I'll be sending you. I'll be sending it to you the minute it gets back from my editor. <laughs> that better be a promise. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Plastic City Comic Con, and the Upper Valley Comic Expo. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a superb magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you're looking for a really great gift book for that rapidly approaching 
semi-annual Fairbanks Melt Day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is available on Audible, because I'm not sure where else you could find it. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, just look at robwattsonline.com. And don't forget to try the Watts sauce. We have, we love it. Our outro was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. You can find Lawrence Made Me Cry's music on Bandcamp. And a whole lot of love to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from his booking books. Thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie shared pain as lessons, shared joy increased. Thus, we all refute entropy. Better things are coming, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. So, unless it's daytime, good night, everybody. I don't you hate people like me? I know I do.